I'm Megan. I'm Tegan. And this is The Office Hours, the podcast where two literature professors analyze the great American story, The Office. Tegan, we have made it to season four. Woo! Season four, baby! Season four. This is, um, we've gotten a long way. Today, thinking about starting season four, I was reflecting on the time before this when I just had sort of a fantasy about doing this podcast with you and now I'm like wow it's really real we should go back into our like archive and find out like when we first talked about even the idea like texted about it it feels like there was a bunch of texting before yes it yes hmm we should definitely go back to the archives for that. Do some research. Uh, I'm trying. Okay, so season one had six episodes, right? Mm-hmm. Then season two and season three, did they both have 25 episodes? I feel like season two had, I want to say 22, but I also just made that up. And was season three 24? Okay, season one, six episodes. Season two, 22. And season three uh consists of okay 25 episodes but they say 17 half hour episodes four 40 minute supersized episodes and two one hour episodes but so 25 22 and six uh so we've really taken a journey like we are into at the very least the 50s of our own episodes right like because we've had multiple annex episodes we've had we had an introductory episode. Like, I feel like we might, I don't think, I don't know if we've recorded 60 podcasts, but we have to be creeping up on it, right? Yeah, we do have to be. It's a lot of the hours of our lives that we have that we have put into this wonderful thing. I, I'm really excited to be starting a new season. It feels like the time is right. It feels mm-hmm. like uh, the podcast has, has reached a certain... Um, you know, confidence and sense of itself, as has the show. I felt like, yeah, popping yeah. on this episode, I was like, this show knows what it is, and yeah. it's firing on all uh, engines or whatever the the phrase is. Cylinders, and, I think. Yeah, that's it. Firing on all cylinders. Uh, I know nothing about cars. Yeah. Where do I know? Ooh, I'll get to it in revisions and regrets. But uh, I also know nothing about playoffs, apparently. But in any case. I'm excited. It's just nice to be like in a new, I don't know. Does the season mean anything? Does it feel new to you? Important? Like a break? Yeah, it does kind of. And partly because I like the way that at the beginnings of the seasons, they come back. So the way that Michael talks at the beginning, it kind of loops back to him not having the job. And he's like giving us a little bit of an update in season three um I think in the beginning it was Ryan if there was also some change with Ryan and he was talking about not being a temp anymore and now he was a salesman um so I feel like they kind of do a little bit of it's almost like the doc like the documentary has had a little summer break or something and then they they come back and they give us a little bit of an update so it does feel new the other thing that happens is some of the aesthetic changes like they look different from season one to season two and season three to season four particularly pam has gotten 
restyled in a way that I find disappointing. Oh, intriguing. Yes. I want to hear about that. The hair? The hair. The hair and the style, like her outfits too, Mm. have changed. And I find it disappointing. I think most people would probably say that she objectively looks better. Like she's better styled. Um, But I don't know. I just thought she was more normal before. So her curls now she's wearing, she's not doing the half up anymore. It's long, it's parted on the side, it's down, but it's more soft, wavy curls than the sort of tighter, a little bit frizzier curl. Mm -hmm. And um, rather than wearing the pastel, various shades of pastel button-down shirt with a pastel cardigan every single day, she now has this very cute little kind of a sweater shirt, I want to say, that has kind of a a bow at the top. And I actually remember hearing, and I I know I don't like to let this information, this outside information affect my interpretation of the text, but um, I did hear at some point Jenna Fisher, the actress, talking about this. And I think she said that it actually took longer to get her hair to look the way that it did before. Mm. But it just had this normal, not hot Hollywood kind of look to it and I really liked that so I miss it I yeah I feel two ways about it on the one hand I thought oh wow like she looks great you know Mm -hmm. but by great I think she looks a little little more slick or sleek yeah um and I think I understand narratively what they're trying to say is she's happy and therefore she's more conventionally pretty to you (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but I suppose that that is a problem for me in a few ways. But um, but I think the the reason it annoys me is one thing we really liked about the show and something that was kind of unusual about it. And I think still is unusual about that first and second season is you had people on your TV that looked interesting, but not necessarily um, uh, normie pretty, like yeah. in the standards of sort of Hollywood. They yeah. were not you know, unattractive or something like that. Mm-hmm. But, but, you know, um, yeah, just kind of it, it, whatever, like the yeah. distinct features and various body sizes and pale and pockmarked and, and the lighting in this space should not make your skin look good. And, and part yeah. of it, right. It but if you're good. finding the love of your life at the office, you know, then the office has to become more of a, a, cozy warm inviting light space i guess i don't know i don't know so anyway i agree with you i i don't like jim and pam becoming more slick mm-hmm. i do think it's part of the whole show locking in a bit to a certain vibe mm-hmm. and anyway i can talk more about that as we go but like it feels much more like kind of quick to know where it wants to go which i think is both good and maybe a little not disappointing but like taking away from some of the roughness Hmm. of Mm -hmm. the realism of the early seasons yeah yeah let me add one while we're on this topic one final point that i realized that is one of the parts that i think is throwing me off about pam and that is the change in her shoes she used to always wear these awful shoes i thought they were so ugly (laughs) i think if you want to look them up a good place probably to see them is the episode when they go to the mall and she's changing the tire 
they're like they've got a little bit of a heel but like the top the leather part on top goes too high but not high enough for it to be a boot it's just it's like a weird in between it's not a good looking shoe and i'm not talking about her kids that she doesn't actually she apparently wears you know to work that we don't really get to see much of that um she wins an award for it early. These are just kind of the shoes she most often wears at the office. And they're, I find them very unattractive. But I like that because I also think, you know, people wear some unattractive shoes. And not that I suppose that I am the ultimate taste decider on good shoes. But I, I think those ones are not great. And now she's wearing more, ah, I think they were kind of more like ballet flats. I, mm-hmm. I need to go back and pay more attention. But I've realized her shoes also have lost the dorkiness. And if we remember, we liked the thing we liked about Jim Moore, actually, when he got his haircut, even though I thought he looked worse, you thought he looked better, but was the dorkiness of it. And she's losing her dorkiness and she is becoming worse in that way. I think that, yeah, like, well, we'll talk about that as it goes on, because I remember the later episodes I saw back in the day, like when it was on or whatever, when Mm -hmm. they were you know, together and in love or something, I really grew to find them almost detestable mm-hmm. to the degree that I was like, wait, they were dorks and now they're like bullies or so, you know, they're popular, <laughs> they're the popular kids in the school and I don't, I don't like it. Um, yeah. But I just looked up the shoes and I see what you mean now. Exactly. So okay, uh, <laughs> online and um, yeah. Yeah. So uh, listeners, if you're not, if you're not familiar with what I'm talking about, what was your, what was your um, search term? I looked up uh what did I what did I type exactly? Um but basically uh I wrote the office the mall tire <laughs> in Google that, images it came up. That's good. That's good. So you didn't Google like Pam's shoes. No, no, no. I had to scroll down. Um but I was gonna say, oh, I just liked your point also earlier about how a season kind of like looks back at where we've come. And it's kind of interesting to think about like. I don't know. Like, do you remember watching either this show or other shows like on TV? And so there was a seat that it was new TV season, fall TV, and then Mm -hmm. whatever summer or whatever was like reruns, you know, endless. Mm -hmm. It was like, oh, is there a new episode of whatever? Nah, it's just a rerun, you know? Yeah. Um, Yeah. Do you remember that? I do. Yeah. Yeah. So it was exciting that that return of the season. Yeah, I don't. I'm. I'm curious if many shows even feel the need to kind of recap themselves. Although I guess the, what they do now is they like put out a separate recap. Like I feel like stranger things has done that. It's like, here's everything you need to know in two minutes about all of stranger things that you forgot. Yeah. Yeah. They do like a pre, you know, previously on. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so this, it doesn't get rather than the previously on, it just integrates it a little bit, talks about it a little bit and then keeps going. Which I love. I love that as a choice, but yeah, yeah, I do too. Well, we have no uh, mail, mm-hmm. so no, uh, no, uh, nothing at um, the receptionist corner. I actually do. I actually do have some. I forgot to tell you this. I do have some commentary from our good friend Nick. Okay, let's get there. All right. Uh, this is what Nick says. One thing, one thing I like is that Nick sometimes likes to respond before he actually even completes an episode. 
<laughs> he likes to do some mid-episode commentary, but this time he begins, I'm less than three minutes into your newest episode. <laughs> so less than three minutes in. All I can say is nerd alert, but I'm still going to listen to absolutely every moment. Oh, uh, thanks. Nerd alert, our Dundee Data episode. Uh, he goes on, plus, I'm a firm believer in a good line graph, then bar charts or pie graphs. Then he says, no, I will actually say my preference probably goes line graph, then pie chart, then bar graph or histogram, depending on the type of data mm. we're sifting through. Oh, no, I guess I'm a nerd, too. Then I had to confess. I didn't remember what a histogram was. Answer, it's like a bar graph, but each bar represents a small range of numbers instead of just one number, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I'm looking it up right now. You'll see. It. Um, it's good. It's also a, a yeah, good it's graph. Yeah, it's a classic kind of graph. I'm looking what else? <laughs> like a line graph? Classic graph. <laughs> you know, the actually, the for the Dundies, I was really kind of, stuck on thinking bar graph but a pie chart i know you mentioned pie chart that might actually be a really good visualization i think so i love you know it's a it's a good yeah. one yeah um, i i also got a recommendation in terms of the dundies um from my brother ross who has degrees in economics and data science and hey. he said that what we have to do said that if you're going to do this thing where you're giving out multiple dundies in an episode you have to create a weighted system. Like we have to start weighting them because, um, you know, it's just, it's not, it's not giving us great data. <laughs> Is Ross willing to help us uh, pilot this or create an Excel spreadsheet for us or. Oh, I think, I think we could probably recruit him for. Okay. Okay. For well, I was thinking at the end of each episode, let's toss the Dundies into a Google Doc now so that you don't have mm -hmm. to like listen back or we don't have to like gather it, but. Yeah, maybe they can help us. Okay. Yeah, that's great. All right. We'll, we'll be bringing you guys in. The danger of making comments to us about the graphs is that we're going to recruit you for some assistance. Um, now, I have something. I'm not sure whether it goes at uh, the receptionist corner or um, revisions and regrets. Do you have any revisions and regrets? I don't think so. Okay. Well, then I'll put it in here, not going over to accounting. But I talked to Corey, longtime listener. Um, oh, yeah who said that, okay, I'm totally going to forget it now, but but I thought that uh, Nick and Ross and perhaps others might write in to help us with this as well, but, but Corey was pointing out that I was getting confused between the difference between brackets and playoffs are different than when I said like a first round draft pick or something <laughs> like that. And she was like, saying i think she said something like it's charming or whatever to hear my total sports illiteracy <laughs> <laughs> and uh oh yeah and i was also confused about what a runoff was and so anyway i i don't regret it but i do revise okay that i was completely wrong about what i was describing any of that as and i apologize but different than the wrong traffic all right. Well, should we get into today's episode? Let's do it. Okay. So season four, episode one, fun run, part one. And here's our summary. After a freak accident, Michael thinks the office is cursed. As the promotion dust settles, Kevin smells romance. Interesting. So. Uh, 
interesting uh, summary. It is an interesting summary. I find I'm a little put off by Kevin smells a romance. Yeah. Smells? I don't know. Yeah. But it does pinpoint, I did really enjoy Kevin in this episode. Mm -hmm. Like he was a treat for me. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I don't know that he was in any way significant to the plot. <laughs> and I felt that the concept of the curse kind of comes up a bit late in the episode. And I was mm -hmm. like, is that even really? How do they not mention? Yeah, anyway, whatever. Yeah. It's yeah. all about Michael hitting Meredith, man. It's all, well, well, we did get after a freak accident. Maybe yeah. it's kind of had to withhold uh, the surprise there. So let's start from the opening of this. We first have Michael at home. Let me just kind of give us a little summary of what's happening in our cold open this time. And then I think there are several things that we're going to have to talk about. Um, so Michael's at home in his condo. He's all moved in now. He had, he is sitting at the kitchen table. He is eating breakfast and he talks about Jan, how Jan has moved in. They have now have domestic bliss. She is still asleep. So he walks up to the bedroom with the camera shows her sprawled out on the bed and he starts then driving to work and he is coming around that corner around the fence, talking to the camera and suddenly Meredith is on the hood of the car and hitting the windshield. And then Michael is just kind of an open mouth, silent shock. And then it cuts right to the music um, and the intro. So I think before we even get to hitting Meredith, we have to start with Michael at home. Yeah. All right. What's what stood out to you here? What did you think? I just. Um... I don't know. I love the the style of this opening and the way it's kind of shot like a Cribs episode or something where they're <laughs> kind of, kind of touring the house a little bit, you know, and, yeah. Yeah. and he's like, I and I love his um, his uh, narration. Okay, uh -huh. well, I did not get the job in New York, but I got the real prize, domestic bliss. <laughs> Man made me breakfast this morning. Well, she bought the milk. It's soy. <laughs> this is why I do it. This is why I, what I have to come home to. She probably won't be up for a few hours. Um, you know, and then, yeah, he's, yeah, I don't know. It, it's just the juxtaposition between his optimistic buoyancy and then the reality of like, here's his unemployed former boss who mm. is, you know, deeply and profoundly depressed. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I just, and then, of course, you know, he, 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 the other, the rest, my protege, Ryan, is it corporate? Uh, things are so good. And then he hits Meredith, but uh, I don't know. I, I just found, I just found it like a great punchy uh, opening. I, I wish I had more to say. What did you think? Yeah. Well, you mentioned cribs. I hadn't thought about that, but that is great. I just texted you a picture of the bedroom because. I was kind of struck by the style here. And I was also remembering that last season, this was when Jim had gone to Stanford. And so we spent a lot of time discussing the office decor. Yeah. And I thought this was interesting to see the bedroom. Um, yeah. And let me maybe just describe some of the things that are here and then we can talk about it. So the bed, the sheets are pale yellow, pale pink pillow covers, and a floral comforter there are some additional pillows that are on the floor like the throw pillows there's 
I don't know, kind of a traditional sort of ugly lamp. There are some paintings. There's kind of, a, I don't I, it's a little hard to tell, sort of a flowery painting with a gold frame. There's a picture, a couple pictures and frames of shoes. There's this weird, so there's a vanity in the corner, like a wood vanity with mirrors. There's one of those uh, little signs on it that says hers. I don't see any his in this room. Um, there is a very ugly, over-the-top, weird chair at this vanity. It's kind of orangish red, and it's got this split in the middle. It looks like it's for Valentine's Day. She has a, there's an open rack of clothing hanging, and there's a stuffed, big, kind of pinkish chair. I do not think Michael has anything in this room. It feels like Jan has taken over. It seems like a lot of Jan things. And I am not impressed with the style. It's it, To me, it's giving grandma a bit. It's giving... Yeah, it's got a bit of grandma. A bit of a kind of country hotel. Country hotel, good, yes. A lot of, not paisley, but a kind of earth tone floral. And yeah, earth tone floral. On the nightstand... Uh, we have, I believe, a picture of Jan. We do. Large, like an 8 by 10 But what is so amusing is the two shoes, like high heels or whatever, on the... Yeah. Are those supposed to be, like, I don't know, shoes from 1890 or something? Uh, Doesn't that kind of look... (laughs) Where's the hers thing that you were saying? Is that not in... Oh, there it is, on the desk. Yeah. The vanity, I see. Yeah. Yeah, it's got those three mirrors. So that's like, you know, the sit and do your makeup right. area. You you got good words for this ex- aesthetic. Grandma Country Hotel, Earth Tone Floral. I was trying to kind of pin down what is this. And it sort of also feels the only, I couldn't come up with words that were as good as that. But I was thinking sort of traditional generic. Mm-hmm. Uh, like it just doesn't, it doesn't feel like a good personal sense of style. And it felt very different i think part of what surprises about me about it is it feels very different than jan's clothing style and so it made me kind of wonder about what the relationship is between that of style of dress and style of house and how much do or sell you know furnishings and decorations and stuff like that and how much do those things align for people or not align at all mm. do you have a and this, like everything is so busy here too like they're kind of semi-neutrally colored there's like two there's too much going on here yeah but yeah. i think Jan always looks great at work and she'll wear more solid like she wears solids she doesn't wear things with lots of print she doesn't wear lots of florals like this she does not wear pastels in contrast to pam she'll wear more black and white there's a, a time i remember when she was at the convention she has that great blue shirt that really makes her eyes pop she um we talked some about when she shows up in jeans and she's got that navy jacket i was disappointed on the home front what color are the sheets is it like a cream or is it like a the light yellow oh it's kind of like a baby yellow like a baby baby nursery yellow and then Um, we've got a a a kind of creamish uh quilted yeah i think yeah 
yeah, with flat kind of embroidered flowers on the on the chair too by the vanity. There are boxes like she's been shopping. There's stuff all over the vanity. Her purse is hanging there. Her clothes are there. I feel like there's not a lot of space for Michael here. No. No, also, I mean, I, I love how that's kind of expressed through her sprawled out posture. She's laid diagonally across the bed and yes. appears to be passed out. <laughs> yes, totally. One other note here, vertical blinds. Wait a minute. We discussed these, those vertical hanging blinds over the window you that we discussed right. somewhat extensively because they have them at Stanford. And that just seals the look of this bedroom as not good yep it's not cozy although it aims for coziness um yeah well it's why he does it though megan that's what he has to come home to that's why he does it it is domestic domestic bliss um one more thing the i love almost everything about this opening except when michael is sitting and eating the cereal you can hear him eating he's making too many eating noises and <laughs> that's really hard for me do you Once have I hear misophonia that, yes i think that i do <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah isn't that a thing where it's like excessive sensitivity to sounds yep. yeah or certain sounds and yep. yeah i i don't know that i don't know that i would officially have it but there are there are definitely certain things and like once i can hear the eating it just it just makes me very uncomfortable and very intensely annoyed. I like to ask my students stupid questions on the first day to get them, you know, or the second mm -hmm. day to learn who mm -hmm. they are. And uh, one of the ones that I always like to ask is about uh, their pet peeve, biggest pet peeve. Mm -hmm. And like one of the mm -hmm. most consistent ones is like people chewing, the sound of people chewing, the sound of people eating, grinding their teeth. It's so interesting to me how that uh is such a trigger for some people from i mean for me yeah. the like endlessness of a bass <laughs> like that shakes my chest that bothers me but i'm not as bothered oh, really by i'm huh. bothered when people chew with their mouth open but it, it's the visual sight not visual irritation not sound yeah, that's yeah. right that's right yeah i actually remember this is gonna make me sound insane but one of the things one of those sounds that bothers me is just a repeated sound of something bouncing. So if I am, for example, running and I am behind someone in front of me who has one of those water bottles attached to them or keys or something like that that are bouncing, both the sound and visually, it like makes me crazy and I have to get around them. Mm. But I remember when I was in high school and I take the public bus and then it would drop us off like a few blocks away from the school. And so you'd walk from there to school and there was a girl who had a backpack with a thousand keychains on it and as she'd walk the keychains would just bounce and make this noise and I still remember being just enraged by it and I would have to get away from her like I could not handle that sound mm, mm. yeah yeah so this was a tough Michael moment for me <laughs> uh not the part where he hit meredith just the uh <laughs> no i love the part when he hits meredith <laughs> so this is interesting so this he hits meredith but right before he does he says i feel very blessed and this episode 
takes a surprising turn into the religious and the spiritual. It and really it's interesting does. how it sets that up here. Um, oh, that's a great point. Yes. Um, but also, you know, so part of it is the the juxtaposition of his whatever, his rhetorical optimism with reality. But something I really enjoyed here also was um, this episode does a few things with the camera that I feel like we've been wanting to see. Mm -hmm. And this is mm -hmm. part of what I mean by the show, like starting to hit its stride for better and for worse. Mm -hmm. This is one moment where it's like Michael's driving and essentially talking to the camera. And so him hitting okay. Meredith is kind of a meta joke. Like, mm -hmm. you know, how is it that these people are always talking to the camera and not like fucking up whatever it is that they're doing or whatever. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I really enjoyed that as a kind of meta joke and then similarly oh, or a reflexive one when they're at the um hospital dwight is saying that meredith's uterus uh or she had a hysterectomy and the intern looks to the camera to make like a uterus joke <laughs> and i thought yeah like that's great like yes people in the show are aware of them and of being filmed and Pam mentions it at the end of the episode like I wouldn't tell if I was mm -hmm. dating and in love I wouldn't tell on camera and so yeah. it's just I felt there was a heightened attention to the mockumentary style a bit yeah. so, which yeah. I always really get excited about yeah definitely I love that doctor stepping in with a joke so that's where her uterus went um yeah. I thought that was great and it's there's something interesting about, I guess, in this format, delivering a joke that isn't really very funny, but to the camera and that attempt at telling a joke makes it really funny. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. it's, not, it's not really very funny, but like it's funny in his attempt. And I love how he goes for it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, and with mm -hmm. Michael, it's just it's so fun the way the camera is just it's looking at him. So the Meredith, he hits Meredith. Like he doesn't see it and we don't see it coming and it is just so sudden and it's one of those things I think especially the first time where it's just like shocking and you have that it's sort of a different kind of laugh and it's that laughter of a sudden shock um where yeah it just it just comes up out of nowhere like hitting a person with your car which is one of my biggest fears actually mm, mm. Mm, I didn't know this. Really? Yeah. 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 I think about it all the time. I think this is maybe my greatest fear is hitting and killing somebody with my car. Wow. I didn't mm -hmm. know this. Like I think about it when I, sometimes when I turn, I think about somebody suddenly being on top of the car and like, uh, yeah, I am very afraid of this. So maybe wow. I can really sympathize with Michael and how he tries afterward to cope. Because I think the scary thing is afterward, like after something like that happens, how do you cope with it? How do you go on? And so I think Michael is thinking through just the questions I need to think through is how do you cope with hitting someone with your car in the aftermath? Is there ever going to be an episode where you're like, I don't sympathize with Michael? <laughs> <laughs> you're like, nope, this is too far for me. Wait, that's a great question. I think um, I don't I don't see that coming. So it's clearly not manslaughter. That doesn't do it. Like... <laughs> she didn't die. It's just a tiny crack in her pelvis, Stegan. Arguably, he saved her life. So arguably, he saved her life. It was a good rage. thing she went 
to the hospital. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, these kill more people than cars? Probably not. <laughs> who can say? We'll who learn can... more. We might learn more in the next episode about that. We, we need a pie chart for uh, deaths versus cars. <laughs> yeah, we do. In a pie chart, I do not think you could see the rabies slice in relation to all the other pie slices. Let's well, move into the office, maybe. Yeah, let's uh, get to the actual. <laughs> so let's get past the opening song. Well, the first thing I was going to say is we've got the IT tech guy um, mm-hmm. helping back. Pam because she clicked on a or tried to purchase a celebrity sex tape. Yes. Um, and so I was just looking up cultural events in 2007 and oh. I should have realized, but it is the Kim Kardashian sex oh. tape. Are you serious? You are really bringing the cultural context. Um, Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's the one. Uh, 2007, um, I think so. Uh, Yeah. Wow. Superstar is a 2007 pornographic film featuring Kim Kardashian and Ray J. It depicts the two having sexual intercourse in 2003 while on vacation in Cabo, the film brought in more than $1.4 million in its first six weeks. Um, so he wow. filmed it with a uh, camcorder. Um, and uh, bu- 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 I'm trying to, th- I feel, I thought there was some like, yeah. Okay. So before the release, she sued for invasion of privacy, um, eventually settling. Um, but in any case, uh, uh the, that like catapulted her to stardom and yeah. you know, um in many ways so I, I just thought it was so interesting like oh my god 2007 the beginning kind of of a kardashian dynasty that or at least in the cultural consciousness that yeah. in some ways yeah. is still very much with us it seems um it's it's there it's still so, with us uh wow. but at the same time i was like pam's buying sex tapes at work <laughs> no. what do you think it was very surprising. I mean, I guess that's how that's how curious the Kim Kardashian situation made people. But yeah, it was a uh, it was surprising and kind of strange. I love the back and forth between Jim and Pam there, and the way she says it all happened so fast. Like, I think that actress is a uh, uh, like a, like an assassin of scenes. Like, I think she. <laughs> Yeah. He steals a lot of scenes and I don't think she's ever gotten as much credit as uh-huh. what's his face. But, um, but yeah. she she kills it with some of those jokes. And she you really a- believe that they are have this rapport and this affinity. Yeah, you do. I also think she makes it because this buying a sex tape at work seems like something Kevin would do. It doesn't seem like something Pam would do, but I think I think she does make it kind of convincing, like that, you know, it all happened so fast, like this thing popped up. I was curious and I, you know, just moved a little too quickly on the internet. I really like too how the IT tech guy um, pushes her on it. So he says, you know, generally it's not a good idea to click on offers that you haven't requested. What was the exact offer? And she says it was for a video. And then he asks, yeah, what kind of video? Like, I don't know if this is if this really is relevant information at his point, but I do like how he he pushes on a little bit and he he draws it out. That is so good. And then, since you mentioned Kevin is the one who would normally be looking at this, Kevin is my 
maybe my favorite aspect of the episode um, mm-hmm. because he gets to be the audience surrogate in many ways. Mm-hmm. So we get Jim's version of the story, which is broke up uh, with Karen. I'm single. I'm looking for, I'm now I'm single and looking. And we definitely, I definitely want to get your take on the Karen flashback, but, and then mm-hmm. Pam says, you know, I talked him through his breakup. It's nice to be good friends again. To which Kevin says, are you kidding me? <laughs> Pam and Jim are totally hooking up. All they do is smile. They're they're just keeping it a secret, right? And then it turns out Oscar's there. One of my favorite jokes, as yes. you know, yes. zooming out or the panning over, it turns out somebody's there. And the way that Oscar is so methodical, like a detective, I don't know. There's no evidence of intimacy. They've been in remarkably good moods. It could be other things. To which Kevin says, are you kidding me? Yes. I don't know. I don't have anything other than I just think it's I think Kevin is really funny. I think the beats are great. Mm-hmm. The one question I, I did have a question for you about what Jim and to what extent what Jim and Pam are doing is a performance for people in the office or it's genuine. But what was your take on on the Kevin curiosity? I found Oscar to be especially delightful here yeah i love it and i always think of you when we see this camera move but that suddenly oscar is in there it's interesting as a pairing too because they rarely do in the the conference room interviews are there ever two people i mean it does that with the interviews with um michael and dwight often so michael's there and then it goes out and dwight is over his shoulder or when dwight was temporarily the boss it does the same thing and Andy's there over his shoulder. But typically they're alone when they're doing these conference room interviews. And there's something very, I want to say in, intimate. Like there's some, there's something about who would be the one person who you would go in and do that interview together with. And there's just something delightful about the two of them having that together and their back and forth and their disagreement about it. And yeah, Oscar is cautious oscar wants the evidence um and so i think he's a good a good balance to kevin you're the oscar in that scenario i'm the kevin <laughs> yes you want textual evidence and i'm like come on the vibes yes yes totally <laughs> this might be are they the best pair of us in <gasps> the office is kevin or kevin and oscar here the closest we're gonna get to oh. you and me I have to think on that but possibly possibly so the thing that comes after that is Jim and Pam actually talking to each other yeah this might be the low point of the episode for me oh interesting so are you thinking of the scene about the flea market and the mountain biking yes so they're talking about what they're gonna do for their weekends they're supposedly separate weekends Pam, yeah, so Sunday, I'm thinking of going to the flea market at the drive-in. Jim, oh, that sounds fun. I'm mountain biking on Sunday on Montage Mountain. Pam, cool. Jim, yeah, well, have fun with that. I thought this was very interesting. I, I don't necessarily disagree. It was like kind of a low point, but I liked the, like Kevin's kind of surveilling them or whatever. Yeah, because yeah, he's definitely... kind of standing back and watching. And yeah. that's fun, but... Yeah, I guess my question for you was, A, are they telling the truth? Like, are they actually doing these things? Or are they saying, interesting. No, they're totally performing this for the office. And I find it, it like, ooh, nothing. This is the thing that makes me cringe. Oh. 
Proceed. Explain. Oh, I don't know. Just even the way that they're looking at each other. I don't know. Do I not like people to find happiness? Huh. Maybe. But there's just, ooh, I don't, I can't even quite pinpoint it. But Michael chewing, the way they're talking here, both just draw the disgust out of me. This is really interesting. I don't think we've really cracked this question before. Is it the romance? Like, is it the fact that we've moved from a will they, won't they to a, to a, I don't know, but yeah. they, they are. <laughs> I do think that, I do think that I don't enjoy that as much, but there's just something too about this because I really, I really, this is not what they were doing on the weekend. I really think that they're just playing this up and they're just having this little fake conversation and, and, uh, I don't know. I should better be able to explain or justify my reaction to this, but it just makes my skin crawl. Well, there is something that raised my eyebrow about it. Is I don't, can't believe I just phrased it that way, but whatever. <laughs> I don't know. It, uh, uh, but I, um, but the act, because this was the second question I was going to ask you was like, all right, whether or not it's real, mm -hmm. to what extent do the things that they, uh, describe themselves as doing or depict themselves as doing actually tell us anything about their characters or who they are, what mm -hmm. their pleasures are, what their joys are. Mm -hmm. And I think that part of the reason it's like cringy to me is like, there's something so like, I don't know, white middle class <laughs> about it. Mm -hmm. I'm going to the flea market at the drive-in <laughs> and I'm going mountain biking um white culture yeah it's this white culture <laughs> or just like or, or it's kind of bougie or something or maybe it's it's so tr it's so like basic or it's it's, tr it's kind of normy or which all of that would fit with their characters mm -hmm. but, but i don't know it's Is not it exactly dorky it's not dorky it's not no, like it's Okay. Is it the kind of thing you say that you'll do over the weekend, but that you don't actually do? Like, Jim's not going mountain biking. Isn't he? I feel like awesome. I feel like you would go mountain biking. I feel like... I when I'm, I'm more likely to go mountain biking than Jim. And I think I'm never actually... Like, I like the idea of mountain biking. I don't think I'm ever actually going to get out and do it on a weekend. I don't understand you, your desires and your pleasures. I don't get, you are a mystery to me. And now the podcast has changed. It's no longer, will I like the office? It's, can I understand Megan's pleasures? <laughs> Ew, that sounded creepy. Let's reframe it. Can I understand Megan? <laughs> because I don't like the, I don't even under, I can't even imagine a world in which going mountain biking even sounds appealing to me. So explain this to me. You're saying you would like the idea, but you would never do it. I, I can't even get to the, you're worried about hitting somebody with your car. I, I'm worried about like going down the mountain, flipping off the bike and breaking my neck on a rock. Explain. Okay. Well, I think you're thinking about actual mountain biking. And I mean, I guess I should have taken the title mountain biking for what it says it is, but I was thinking about it more just like trail biking, I guess, because I've done this when I was a kid at some point and um went on this bike trail where it was like 
in the woods and it was kind of hilly. It was up and down, but it was this narrow trail. And so I think the thing that was fun about it is that you had to like be physically moving, but you also had to mentally really pay attention. Um, and the goal, you'd like go around this little track and the goal was to not have to put your foot down. So you like, you know, maintain control throughout and it was really fun. And so I was just sort of thinking about it being, I don't know, maybe a slightly more grown version of that. I mean, okay. riding up a mountain seems horrible. Riding down a mountain, I guess, sounds kind of scary. Um, but Jim is not. I mean, we saw Jim ride his bike to Stanford. I don't think he's doing real hardcore mountain biking, if this is even what he's claiming to do. I mean, his bike has a basket on it, Tegan. Oh, it does? Yeah. I forgot about that. Okay. Yeah, Aaron made fun of it. She looked a nice basket. Oh Man, your memory is amazing. I am currently looking up mountain biking. It seems it's a it's a broad discipline and a wide sport. Uh, <laughs> that it, it includes all kinds of possibilities. I am trying to understand where it is I got my vision of mountain biking as some sort of danger zone. Um, hmm. and isn't that movie... 127 hours isn't he riding a bike or is he oh just... isn't that the one where he has to cut off his own arm or yeah oh it looks oh. like oh he's just hiking he's hiking yeah all right well then i don't know what i'm picturing but anyway i did find out that montage mountain is real hmm. it's a ski area in pennsylvania and it is located eight miles from downtown scranton um oh okay so not that far and it is we could go like you could meet me here and we could go mountain biking at Montage Mountain and we could cosplay Jim's <laughs> Sunday weekend. But you're arguing it's fake. But so why would he totally offer that? Fake. And why why would Pam say flea market at the drive-in? Because they're going too far and trying to cover this up. Ah. And, and you know, Angela did that. Angela did that thing with with Dwight. I'm like, just don't make such a big deal. They're overdoing it. I see. Yeah, that's my take. I'm trying to see if... Yours. Am I wrong? I mean, I don't know. It looks like... Holy shit, they really know their stuff. Okay, so in West Wyoming, Pennsylvania, <laughs> there is a Moonlight Drive-In, and they do a flea market. Oh, wow. So this... So I'm fascinated. Okay. okay so this right. is good information on the Scranton area. Yeah, apparently. Um, okay, well... So, so they're you know, liars and you don't like them because they're happy and because they're lying and because yes it is yeah. also by the you know what i know what makes me cringe about it it is so stereotypically gendered woman is going shopping and the mm. boy is doing like nature uh physical stuff mm -hmm. yawn yeah yawn boring you know what we haven't even gotten to when michael returns the best part of this episode yes michael returns um to the office so he walks in he says ladies and gentlemen i have some bad news meredith was hit by a car jim what dwight where michael it happened this morning in the parking lot i took her to the hospital and the doctors tried to save her life they, they did the best that she could and she's going to be okay stanley what is wrong with you why did you have to phrase it like that oscar so she's really going to be fine Michael, yes, she has a slight pelvical fracture, but uh, people have survived far worse. Pam, thank God you were there. Michael, yeah. Andy, did you see who did it? Dwight, no need. We can just check the security tapes. Michael, uh, kind of a good news, bad news there. <laughs> I was able to be on the scene so quickly. 
because I was in the car that hit her. <laughs> Jim, who was driving? And Michael just kind of does a face. Pam, oh, Michael. <laughs> it is maybe one of the best scenes of The Office of all time. I don't know. What do you think? I love this. I think it's absolutely fabulous. Why do you why do you think? It's the it's 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 the whole ensemble mm -hmm. playing off of Michael's unique uh you know inability to take res responsibility or something but just yes i love stanley's response what is wrong with you, yes. you know? and i fucking love the slow suspenseful build of um good news bad news uh i was in the who was driving oh my yes like, just the cre the cresting realization or whatever that uh, is a oh my god yes it's so good i don't know it's the really? it's it's peak cringe in that way but i actually enjoyed it yeah so so it puts the viewers are the only ones other than michael who know what this news is that he's building up to i just texted you a picture of stanley's face i noticed stanley really has some great faces in this episode and his reaction to Michael um, watching and saying, what is wrong with you is just real good. And then Michael at the end, he kind of has his hands in his pockets and he just gets this really bashful look. It's great. But, you know, he starts he starts by using the passive voice. Meredith was hit by by a car. <laughs> she was hit by a car. Who was the actor in this? We do not know. Who was driving the car that hit hit her? Um, and then let's see. I was able to be in the car so quickly on the scene so quickly because I was in the car that hit her. Just the use of sentence structure and grammar in order to delay as long as possible. I hit her with my car. Uh, it's it's a study in the use of the passive voice, which I feel like. <laughs> always seeing people on social media pointing out like the new york times being like you know um i'm trying to i wish i could think of a good example but how frequently we get like police or government you know violence uh framed in these kinds of passive ways like yeah yeah as totally. if there was no actor of it or something um yeah yeah to so to marshal that here is so funny and then also the uh they did the best they could and she's going to be okay <laughs> So what, is with, oh, go ahead. what is with that approach and that delivery? Because he's sort of going in two directions with himself, with the hitting her, he's like starting low and building upward toward the truth. Like it's escalating. But with the what has happened, the hospital thing, the doctors did the best they could to save her and she's going to be fine. He starts with it escalated because this is the thing that Stanley's so upset about and everyone else is so upset about. He starts with it like at an 11 and then brings it down. So is it is it deliberate? Is there a managing of their emotions there where you start with the making them think that she has been killed and then it goes down to basically she's going to be fine. And so then it sounds like less big of a deal so you could do that deliberately, but is it just that it's kind of happening? Like, it's just the way that it comes out for him. 
No, so you're saying is there like a af- an emotional strategy here? Is there an emotional strategy? <laughs> I to the extent that there is, I would argue, you know, less sympathetic than you would perhaps. That yeah. the strategy is to inflate his importance. So I took her to the hospital mm-hmm. and the doctors tried to save her life. Like this kind of sense mm-hmm. of like this drastic scenario. Um, and he can't help but want to be at the center of it. But at the same time, he is at the center of it, just not in the way that yeah that would lend itself to a savior narrative or a hero narrative. Yeah. But also, there is this kind of interesting, just it's an it's a rhetorical um convention or a cliche. Mm-hmm. Um, the doctors did the best they could is just a cliche that people say because yeah. this moment is so hard and so difficult. Mm-hmm. And, and I like the idea that. Michael has only watched television and so he's like quoting ER or something like that or like I don't know I don't know <laughs> he doesn't know what it's like he's missing the part where the doctors did the best they could is always is never a setup for them they did the best they could and they succeeded <laughs> yeah. he, he does though I mean his language changes over time he'll let later say i love my employees even though i hit one of you with my car he says at one point occasionally i'll hit somebody with my car yeah 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 the other i think the maybe the greatest configuration of his language though when he decides on the curse is it's up to me to get rid of the curse that hit meredith with my car The the curse hit Meredith with my car. It's just. So uh, let's, can we talk? Oh, keep going. Sorry, sorry. Just, well, there's, there's one more, one more quote actually I want to go to. And that's when um, he's on the phone with Ryan and Ryan asks him, did you do it on purpose? And he said, no, I was being negligent. (laughs) And I felt like saying I was being negligent is just such ownership of it, actually, in a really pretty direct way way because rather than saying no of course I didn't do it on purpose it was an accident or I was distracted I didn't see her it's just I was being negligent I was doing something wrong and I hit her (laughs) well let's talk about that part like what's so interesting in the way that you've zeroed in on his like his grammatical inability to place himself as the subject but I'm saying he sometimes does sometimes does and but sometimes does, including here, I was being negligent. Right. But like at the expense of, well, in that way, yeah. But I guess, is there a way in which the episode teaches us anything about the process by which a person is able to claim responsibility mm-hmm. after the fact? Like mm-hmm. when I think of a child uh, mm-hmm. that does something wrong and is caught, it, it's like, I didn't do it, you know, to deny reality or to say, you know, like, uh, I don't know who did that. I don't know who drew on the wall. Mm-hmm. I don't know who drew on the wall or whatever. I don't yeah. know. Um, it just, the curse did it or something. And then the process of like adulthood or something is about cl- like learning to be the subject that is responsible for one's uh-huh. actions. Yeah. And sometimes yeah anyway I, so i'm just wondering if is there any kind of arc here 
mm-hmm. that we can see in his I don't know but I mean at the same time that's what's so funny is by the end he does take responsibility only in the sense of saving like to the extent that he can now say actually I saved her life <laughs> like <laughs> it's a good thing I hit her with my car because then she um yeah it's true but yeah, I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on that? Because I do think it's hard for all of us to take responsibility sometimes. Like, yes, fight or whatever. You did this thing, and it's like, or you, and and like, if I think part of what you're describing of your fear of hitting somebody is the horrific idea of being so culpable for a yes. whole, like a horrific totally. act. Does it then? How do you then like move forward or something? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I think it shows how difficult it is. And I think it also shows that it isn't a straight path because I think there's some wavering and some moving like away from responsibility and to responsibility and then backing off some. Because when right after this whole thing has come out, he gets on the phone with my, with um, Ryan, he calls, he says, my Lord, my liege. And um, he says, so I need a little treat for the gang, something to win their affections back. And Ryan asks, back? Why is that, Michael? Well, I ran down Meredith with my car. That is about as direct. Yep, yep. There's no, you know, by accident, I hit Meredith with my car. There's no Meredith was hit by a car. That is just very direct. I ran down Meredith with my car. And then Ryan asks, oh, did you do it on purpose? And that's when he says, no, I was being negligent. And so there he's very directly owning it. Mm -hmm. And then he'll, after that though, he'll at times depersonalize it. So some of the things he says is not just about, I hit Meredith with my car, but he does this a couple of times. I hit one of you with my car or occasionally I'll hit somebody with my car. (laughs) So that's another way of, saying yes i do it but also taking making it a little, little bit more abstract so i think it's kind of a battle like i feel like it's not a um direct progression yeah it's becoming more responsible and i think you know the thing with the curse like when other things do become available as you're struggling with the guilt and the feeling and the loss of loyalty than you might get from the people in the office when there become other options to get out of it it's like oh you know maybe i try that as a mental way to deal with it yeah and it's kind of interesting like how differently like to ryan he's able to be more direct yeah yeah but and either because he thinks he already has ryan's affection and admiration whereas it's more tenuous with the people in the protege as he calls him yeah or because ryan is his superior now and he has to speak sort of straight with him or something i don't know it's interesting that we're ryan he's able to and that i mean he says at one point like it wasn't even one of the like the cool ones or the The popular ones yeah uh he says, you spend your whole life trying to get people to like you, and then you run over one person with your car, and not, it's not even one of the popular ones. Yeah. And everybody gets on your case. Doesn't make any sense. God is dead. Um, <laughs> well, if, if there was a God, then Ryan and I would be married by now, Kelly says. And then Michael says, maybe believing in God was the mistake. 
What did people believe in before? And this is one of my favorite moments of the whole fucking show. (laughs) The sun. Maybe there's some sort of animal that we could make a sacrifice to, like a giant buffalo or some sort of monster, like something with the body of a walrus with the head of a sea lion, something with the body of an egret with the head of a meerkat, or just the head of a monkey with the antlers of a reindeer. With uh, the body of a porcupine. <laughs> it's so good. It's so freaking funny. And to me, watching him give that speech, and I, I like, there's no way I can replicate it. But what it really made me appreciate about the show is like, <laughs> you know, um, what's his face? Steve Carell's timing, but also, and we've talked about it before, the role of the pauses in and the silences in the show but especially one of my favorite things is when michael stretches out his sentences because he doesn't quite know what he's saying or where to go yes yes Yes. so fucking funny and that is one of my that was one of my favorite ever that reminds me of when he does that it is you know when he's trying to come up with his list of like the four di- five different kinds of businesses or something like that yeah. <laughs> yeah. also with the first one the fact that he does the body of a walrus and the head of a sea lion he picks out two animals that are almost the same yes <laughs> and like i know walruses and sea lions are a little different but that's it's not cool. gonna be super noticeable yeah yeah an oh. egret how did he pick an egret like <laughs> am i saying it right is that how you say it yeah i think so i think so it's one of those it's one of those white birds right that looks kind of yeah. like a heron yeah exactly <laughs> a meerkat that too how do you get to meerkat and <laughs> the body of a porcupine <laughs> oh my gosh there are some great <laughs> lines here Pauses are great. Also, his face as he's trying to get to the last one. He's so serious and he has his hands, you know, almost like in prayer. Like he has his hands put together straight up right in front of his face and he kind of puts his mouth on them and he's looking up and he's thinking. He's thinking so hard. If you were going to construct one of these animals and if you were in Michael's position, what animals do you think you would pick? like if i was gonna pick one to sacrifice or to put no like you have to improvise this now and you have to say like what if it had the body of a blank and the head of a blank oh god oh isn't it oh um mm, okay (laughs) the body of Can't think of a single animal. <laughs> yeah, I know. The body of an elephant with the face of a bat. <laughs> That's what I came up with. What about you? Thinking the body of a hippopotamus and the head of a giraffe. Mm. Mm. Or the body of an iguana and the head of a grizzly bear. I can't come up with any animals that are quite as out there <laughs> um got an egret michael oh 
So there's, uh, yeah, a few other, one other line I wanted to read in the the record I just love mm -hmm. is Michael says, guess what? I have flaws. What are they? Oh, I don't know. I sing in the shower. Sometimes <laughs> I spend too much time volunteering. <laughs> Occasionally I'll hit somebody with my car. So sue me. No, don't sue me. That's the, that is the opposite of the point I am trying to make. <laughs> so this is what I mean by like the show becoming quick and a little slick and like, uh -huh. <laughs> and not in a way that I necessarily dislike, but it yeah. feels like they've really nailed here mm -hmm. Michael's particular brand of kind of stupidity and humor. Mm -hmm. But the moment of that that didn't work for me, not so much with Michael, but with Creed, who, as you know, I, I like and I'm more sympathetic to. Mm -hmm. But his moment is they're all in the hospital. And oh, my God, we got to talk about the hospital scene with Meredith. But um she's on painkillers and creed's like oh really what kind codeine vicodin percocet fentanyl oxycontin paladone what uh -huh. you know and i just felt like okay like oh and then the, the one about the line about him being a cult is funny i like that line uh-huh and what is it he, he says like he's been in a lot of cults it's it's more fun to be a follower but you make more money as a leader or yeah that was good yeah. but it is i was a bit it's not so much the wackiness of it as the I don't know. It just felt kind of like, okay, here's, here's, here's his bit. Like his bit yeah. is going to be like wacky and, and kind of like a shtick. Yeah. And it, it felt a little like, and I'm a little nervous about the show getting into a shtick because I honestly felt like Dwight was a little shticky in this episode too, with his um kind of uh, like toady ish response to michael and it's like uh did she talk back or something what does he say he's like um oh, did you spurn your advances was she talking back did you get sick of that face did she owe you money is this downsizing did she spur your advance and i was just like okay yeah 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 but i did so some of the characters are starting to feel a little mm -hmm. caricature-y to me mm -hmm. and i'm curious if you agreed with that or that wasn't a problem for you i actually liked dwight in this episode um Wow. But no, Creed, Creed's the worst. I did like watching people's faces as he started to ask about the pain kill, list of painkillers. So I liked watching other people react to him there. Um, and I do think his thing about the cults, I think that that was actually pretty funny. But yeah, you know, I'm not, I'm no lover of Creed. I know you're not. And he didn't win you over here. Let me, should I tell you about what I like about Dwight? Sure. It really is in his reactions with Angela. It's in the interactions yeah. with Angela. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great plot. And um, so one in particular is when Angela tells Dwight, so they meet outside, like right out. I think it's, it's kind of near the warehouse. They meet right outside and Angela is telling him and giving him the list. She's written out this list of all the things to do, for her cat and i should probably read this so she says there's a diabetes shot roll the insulin in your hand don't shake it she gets an ace inhibitor with her meal but you have to put it right you have to put her right in front of the dish or she won't see it because of the cataracts mix one capsule of omega fatty acid with her kidney medicine um and you want to give that to her 15 minutes after she's eaten. And, oh, there's a fungal cream because she has this infection under her tail. So you're going to have to lift her tail and put the cream right at the base of her tail. <laughs> so as she is giving him this list that becomes 
increasingly revolting as he has to put a cream like on her asshole basically his face is so funny because at first he's looking down at her list and then he starts just kind of looking up and you can see him processing it and feeling like this is just ridiculous i mean this is outrageous in terms of his approach and his way of thinking about animals Mm -hmm. Uh, and uh i really really liked dwight there i thought just watching his expression was really funny when he returns so he has gone to take care of sprinkles and when he comes he just tells her well let me i I gotta read this too um that (laughs) just a second first of all he calls her sparkles (laughs) i think there's an interesting thing about the name and for angela people recognizing the name and knowing who Sprinkles is and asking or not asking. Because when she mentions Sprinkles, the it goes right to an interview with her. And she says, um, thank you for asking. Nobody asks about Sprinkles. But so when Dwight comes back, he says, well, uh, Angela asks if there are any problems. And he says, well, you left the TV on and your cat is dead. Interesting, a similar construction to Michael actually there. Right, yes. And your cat is dead. What? Sparkles, the white one, is dead. She corrects him, Sprinkles. That was the sick one, right? Uh-huh, but I thought she had more time. Dwight, no. Did she look, when you saw her, how was she looking? Really dead. Like a just a dead cat. And he says, hey, come on, don't be so sad. Just, okay, just, she's in a better place. And you can kind of tell, even as he's saying that, that it's not the thing that he believes in. It's not really a thing that he wants to say, but he's like, oh, what do I say in this? What do you say? So he says she's in a better place. And as he's then walking away, he says, actually, the place that she's in is the freezer. (laughs) (laughs) Because of the odor. (laughs) I just felt like he is so straightforward and sort of clinical and he's got i mean i think this is a big point of this is a big point of contention for their relationship and they've really been in alignment on a lot of things before like on discipline and how you would think how you think about power and authority how you would think about raising a child but they have this really big difference on animals and him coming from he talks about like his kind of farmer perspective versus her and her relationships with her cats and i i think this is really a pretty interesting relationship conflict yeah i love later he says she says you don't like you never you don't like them and he says cats do not provide milk or wool or meat (laughs) milk or wool or meat No, I think this is true. Um, you know, on the one hand, I thought, okay, we're moving Angela into a bit of a cartoon with like crazy cat lady. But on the other hand, I'm here for it. And but I really I totally agree with you. I found this hysterical and um and yeah, like actually kind of a, a rel- like a, an actual real development of attention that would arise in a relationship based yeah. on their different philosophies about what animals are supposed to be or what they do. Yeah. But I also love yeah. that um, uh, Michael sends him to the hospital, pay your respects. And he says, I do not respect her, but I will go. Yeah. <laughs> Another kind of example of like the the cliche phrases that we use around 
death or around yeah. <laughs> um whatever like to pay your respects means like yeah, that's so true you're dead and i haven't uh, even thought about that that's so funny i do not and then i do not respect her but i will go oh man um so on the note of animals one thing i noticed that i haven't noticed before i don't know if they were there but oscar has these dog pictures on his desk oh i didn't notice i think oscar has a dog and let me just send you the picture and you can see if you've got any any thoughts about this side of oscar's life so they're a little fuzzy but one of them it looks like maybe a scotty is that what they're called like a scottish terrier i think um kind of a small black dog and there's one in a frame of just the dog alone and there's another one that is Oscar, and I, my picture is like very fuzzy, so I can't give good detail on this, but of Oscar holding the dog and the dog's face is close to his and he's wearing a green hat. So Oscar Oscar seems to have a dog that he cares about. Hmm. Yeah, it's hard to see, but I am, yeah, I, it'll be interesting. We've never heard this mentioned, right? We have not. Well, you're, I believe this scene is from, by the way, one of my favorite moments in the whole episode with when Oscar says to um, Kevin Subtle. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and I love Kevin's delivery here. This is maybe one of my favorite Kevin episodes ever, but he says, because uh, this is, I know I'm slightly taking us away from the dog, but just since this scene is oh, where please. it's Because right? that but, I wrote down that subtle too. Pam is like, you know, we're kicking in money for flowers. Kevin, who's we? You and Jim? Mm -hmm. No, uh, me and Stanley and Phyllis so far. Oh, I bet Jim goes too. Yeah, I haven't <laughs> asked him yet. Oh, I bet you ask. <laughs> I was planning <laughs> on it. I bet you were. <laughs> and I just love the way he delivers like, oh, I bet I bet you ask. You know, mm -hmm. I just, oh, man. But it would make sense to make Oscar the dog person and Angela the cat person and have them. Yeah, mm -hmm. go at it yes well let me ask you about religion um <laughs> since uh you know it comes up in this episode mm -hmm. and i had a thought as i was watching it and i was like am i going too far um the thought that occurred to me while watching this episode was like is this how religion arises in human cultures <laughs> like does this episode sort of show us the need for religion and it like this is i mean like as i recall it's been a long time since i read freud's moses and monotheism but i really feel like he kind of says that it's like you know a, one of the factors is like kind of to manage guilt um mm -hmm. and to forge like kind of community uh, uh bonds or whatever and mm -hmm. um, you know i mean I, I remember something too of course some oedipal dynamic of all of that but like you know people like kind of commit awful things and then as a way to like begin to form a sense of responsibility and and whatever like um not redress but like uh whatever uh that religion emerges or something and i kept thinking about that here because it's like michael's like turn to religion <laughs> Like he sort of blames a curse as a way to explain these awful things that are happening. Yeah. Um, and then like 
wants them all to talk about religion as a way to sort of process it or something. And yeah, I don't know. I, I, it just was, it, it crossed my mind at a certain point, like that Michael's need for religion emerges out of guilt. And then he even says, Satan is the master of lies about Toby. And it's like, it shows that how religion can be an effective kind of like tool in a way that it's very difficult to argue with. Right. Like if you say there's this, <laughs> force that's behind anybody that you agree with or whatever um yeah yeah and it's so amusing that everybody in the room is like oh cool like i'm i'm a lutheran bob's unitarian it keeps things spicy but angela is the one like that's why we're cursed because we don't all believe in the same (laughs) what did you is this too too far what did you think i mean i think it makes sense i think there are certain things that and i guess if religion is something that's not typically brought into the office and I'll say and as Toby tries to stop him and says like this is inappropriate you can't ask about this one thing I like is that Michael is so direct because he says all right I would now like to talk about each of your individual religious beliefs (laughs) (laughs) um but so it's bringing it into the office I mean it makes sense that it addresses I think the point about guilt about how do you manage guilt at one point he asks, he climbs, <laughs> he says that he would like Meredith to forgive him and he climbs on top of her and onto the hospital bed. Oh. I mean, I think that part of what religion, yeah, really does provide is a way of, yeah, a way of thinking about guilt and a way of thinking about forgiveness. Mm. And how do you cope with this thing that you you have done and you cannot undo it? And how then do you think about forgiveness or what the consequences of it mean i think your point too about it forging community bonds being part of it is something we see here as well i was thinking about it particularly with the it tech guy it's funny isn't that how he's always called in the (laughs) yeah yeah i think so um so the thing that he says and it's funny that he has just stayed around to attend this conference meeting you know he didn't pop in and pop out just for his uh tech job so his response he says well if you're going to reduce my identity to my religion then i'm Sikh. but i also like hip-hop and npr and i'm restoring a 1967 corvette in my spare time and michael kind of pauses and says okay one Sikh." I think it's such a funny response because the guy is saying, if you're going to reduce me to this, and then Michael's like, yes, I am. That's what I was asking. But that uh, point you said about forging community bonds, because I feel like religion is one of those. That's not one where like he's going, he's not going to find the same common ground that Pam and Daryl find Presbyterian, right? But putting out these other identity markers that I think are also signals of being a part of a certain community. And they're kind of like, here are some things that are cool about me that would make me likable and that would make me potentially connect to other people. So hip hop, NPR, story mm-hmm. accord that. So I just found that to be an interesting set of things and being like here religion is one but let me give you some of the other identity markers and i was wondering do those in some way do similar things do they fulfill in some way a similar 
identity role. Like here's a meaningful thing in my life. Here's something that signals some things about what I care about and what I'm interested in and that can connect me to some community of people. So I thought that was an interesting example. Oh, I love that point because yeah, it's, it's interesting. Like in the episode, they all treat religion as an identity, but not and the entirety of their identity. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And they don't, treat it as um, mutually exclusive of other people's like religious beliefs. And perhaps in this way, it is a quintessentially kind of liberal with a small L like kind of worldview of a kind of like we could have a multicultural uh, society without you know, and a kind of a, a, a tolerance for difference or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. um so yeah, I like that point about, you know, and it's so funny also the way he's like, oh, and I'm doing this Corvette. And then Michael reduces him right back to his, <laughs> his identity. So it's like, it's an identity, but partial identity and not necessarily uh-huh. <laughs> um, a, a prohibitive one. And then, yeah. but what Michael wants is, I don't know, like some kind of all encompassing. It's so interesting to call it a curse. Mm-hmm. I think. Um, and so I, one of my favorite lines is he says, Okay, so he says, the office is cursed. We need to do something about it. While I am taking responsibility, it is up to me to get rid of the curse that hit Meredith with my car. I'm not superstitious, but I'm I'm a little stitious. <laughs> Classic Michael Lyon. And I thought that was one of probably you, la- you loved that. Uh, I do love that. Also, does he get Sprinkles' name wrong at one point? I thought he said no. Sprinkles, but I couldn't tell. I think it does sound like he said Prinkles there, but... I, so I know exactly what you're talking about, but he immediately knows that it's Sprinkles. So when, um, and he's a person where like the name Sprinkles just comes to him immediately. Mm-hmm. And this is after Angela has said in the inter- interview to the interview people, thank you for asking. No one asks about Sprinkles. Dwight gets her name wrong and calls her Sparkles. But Michael, when he hears Pam says, um <laughs> so he comes back in and he sees that Angela is sobbing and he's kind of like come on guys let's stop crying about Meredith and Pam says Angela's cat died has Angela's cat died and Michael just asks I want to make sure I got this right um sprinkles yeah so yeah Pam says Michael Angela's cat died and Michael sprinkles and Angela nods oh sh- I'm sorry, Angela. Man, what a day, huh? How could it get any worse? Her computer crashes with the porn and then Meredith with the accident and then sprinkles. God, that's three things. I'll tell you what's going on. The office is cursed and we need to do something about it. So on the one hand, he uses, I think he notices the opportunity in sprinkles (laughs) and it distributes out some of the catastrophe. Yeah, 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 yeah. And make it curse. But at the same time, he knows right away who the cat is. It's Sprinkles. And there was something I thought beautiful in that. He knows and he cares enough about Sprinkles. And it felt like in that initial reaction, it was a sincere, caring reaction about Sprinkles. And then he knows he, you know, then he decides to do something else with it. But I felt like the impulse reaction was good. And here I am back to the defense of Michael. <laughs> I I just love too that like it's clear that Angela has been talking a lot about the cats and so um 
And when Angela says to Pam, there's bad blood, jealousies, clicks, I <laughs> fantasize that Angela's been like trying to update everybody on the like complex sociological <laughs> dynamics of uh of the cat families um that she's yeah. having. Um but you mentioned something earlier, uh uh, and it might be one of my last things. Um, I just have two, I think, actually. One is um, that you mentioned when Michael is at the hospital and he, like, asks for Meredith's forgiveness. It's the, um, that entire scene was, like, the level of cringe that I hate. And mm-hmm. not only the asking for forgiveness, not only Meredith being like, oh, I'm so glad you all showed up at the same time, but also, like, his fucking with her IV accidentally. <laughs> And then the nurse being like, what are you doing? Oh, it was excruciating for me. Just <laughs> excruciating. Um, and then the other, I just wanted to read into the record. To me, this is the thesis of the show. And it might be really like one of the funniest and most insightful lines. And I, ever since I've seen this episode, I just keep thinking about it. Michael saying, do I need to be liked? Absolutely not. I like to be liked. I enjoy being liked. I have to be liked. But it's not like a compulsive need to be liked like my need to be praised. <laughs> it's not like a compulsive need to be liked, liked my, like my need to be praised. Um, oh my God. I just, I don't know. I just, I just, it's, I'm going to be thinking about that line for a long time. Cause it's so great. It is so, so great. Even. The, <laughs> well, the, I wanted the self-awareness of like my need to be praised. <laughs> So he is able to acknowledge that the <laughs> there's just such interesting things that he does with language in this episode for sure. So do I need to be liked? It seems like there are a lot of things where we've got kind of a scale of either like escalation or de-escalation. Do I need to be liked? Absolutely not. I like to be liked. I enjoy being liked. I have to be liked. So I have just as a synonym for I need to be liked. How different would you say is I have to be liked from I need to be liked? Uh, is it different? It's not different. No, <laughs> but no. what he ends up, disti- he's making a fine distinction here. But it's not like a compulsive need to be liked. <laughs> Right, right. Like we need to be praised, which is indeed compulsive. Compulsive, yeah. Which as <laughs> if those aren't the same exact thing uh, <laughs> or a function one of the other. But I, I also love it too because it's like a version of, I feel like I've been in therapy and said some version of the, like, do I hate my father? No, of course I don't. You know, do I do I, do I this? Do I that? Okay, sure, yeah, that, that, you know, whatever. And it's like, yeah, okay. Like, like yeah. and we circle back around to whatever we've been denying. <laughs> without recognizing it you know yeah well the one other thing that i would like to talk about is ryan's outfit (laughs) the wunderkind oh my gosh well one other side note when michael when they get to the get to the hospital they are walking through the hallways michael has that big thing of balloons and he's talking about how to me as if this is an insightful thing to me hospitals are associated with sickness and he's like disgusted by them (laughs) but they are walking down the hall and there is a body that appears to be completely covered and i was wondering if there was a dead person in the hallway um but anyways that's not uh that's not the point so ryan's outfit yes 
So Michael has been on the phone. He has called and he has talked to Ryan and then it cuts to the interview with him. Um, Do you have that up? Do you want to read the Ryan thing? Sure. Um, Yeah. Uh, The Wunderkind thing. Yeah. Okay. People keep calling me a Wunderkind. I don't even know what that means. I mean, I know what it means. It means very successful for your age. So I guess it makes sense, but it's a weird word. (laughs) It is a weird word. Um, Ryan has gotten so out of hand. So quick. But I want... I want to ask you about his outfit and what you think about this. So let me just send you a little picture here. Um, He is looking pretty different than he looked before. And in contrast to Pam, I think like the life change for him that he has does make sense for him to have a total makeover. He is wearing a black suit over a black shirt a black and gray striped tie. So this is really a very black forward ensemble. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What do you think about this look for Ryan? Uh, I'm not saying I've never worn a black shirt with a black tie. I'm not going to say, but I did look like a waiter, whatever, when I did that. So, <laughs> I mean, on the one hand, I think it was like a, a, a mid 2000s version of like cool or whatever mm-hmm. so he's trying hard but um yeah yeah but it is it is definitely i mean it reads as corporate uh douche um corporate douche that's a good way of putting it yeah i don't i mean even at the time i didn't like these kind of ties i've never liked this kind of um diagonal uh like it's not exactly it is a striped diagonal but it is almost more like a geometric vibe or something i I just yeah there's various shades of gray in there yeah i don't i don't like it um i'm trying to get the texture of the shirt but either way but of course the other thing that is perfect for him is he's got this kind of um i don't know he's got product in his hair he's got a sheen to it it's a it is a really uh pristine haircut that doesn't exactly fit his head but he also has just the perfect five o'clock shadow like mm-hmm, it is does, yeah. yeah so manicured and so uh-huh. anyway, um manicured to look unmanicured kind of exactly yeah so he just looks yeah. kind of yeah corporate douchey what do you think yeah yeah i think you are really great at labeling styles <laughs> I feel like you were able to kind of capture the essence of Jan's room and uh, corporate douche. I think it's definitely this look. Yeah, it's just, it's a, it's a lot. And it reminded me of Dwight when he becomes the manager and he paints the entire office black <laughs> to intimidate people. And I felt like Ryan was kind of doing this same a similar thing using a similar move like i am going to wear all black and it's going to make me intimidating and it is going to make me look powerful and it will make people bow down ryan's the worst he's he is michael's uh, protege yep well is it time i think it's i think it's dundee time i knew instantly who my dundings were going to Okay, let's hear it. This was not hard for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the uh, 
the Truth Speaker Award goes to Stanley. Uh, oh, okay. Tell, me, tell us more about that. Who says um, uh, the most important line, I feel like, in the whole episode um, when he says, so Michael had said she's going to be okay. And Stanley says, what is wrong with you? Why did you have to phrase it like that? Yeah. I just <laughs> think it's an incredible moment. And the way he says it, the yeah. fierceness, uh, the inflection, and then also like he's speaking the truth. And it's kind of like the counter response to the whole show or to Michael, which is like, what is wrong with you? Yeah. Uh, so I just love that he finally asked the question that uh-huh. has been on all of our minds. What is wrong with you? Um, but then my other Dundee um, goes to the audience surrogate award for Kevin. Hmm. Everybody saw it coming, but I just, I think like his, he's so cute and charming in this episode. He gets so many fun moments and uh, yeah. And I just, I've already read all of his stuff, but I just, I loved his, uh, oh, I bet you do. So. (laughs) Okay. I am going to give a few awards out tonight. I'm going to begin with the Bob Hope Award which goes to the doctor, the intern. He um, responds very well to Dwight. Dwight comes in, doesn't he ask, are you, are you a male nurse or a doctor? And he says, well, I'm an intern, so that makes me a doctor. And then that's when, as you mentioned, Dwight fills him in about Meredith's hysterectomy. And he says, so that's where her uterus went. And I feel like just jumping in with as a, as a guest, popping in with some comedy, and going for it with the joke. And I appreciated that. So Bob Hope Award goes to the doctor. (laughs) The Verbal Artistry Award goes to our very own Michael Scott. I thought about the season, do I try to move away from giving him awards? In this episode, I felt like I had no shortage of other people who were great. But Michael's greatness here is, I mean... It's hard to even touch it. I think we've we've read the lines that he delivered. We've talked some about the pacing, like you said, as he delivers those animals with the heads of certain creatures and the bodies of others. His thing about his need to be liked. Um, I'm not superstitious, but I am. I am a little stitious. He's great. Verbal artistry award. I think it's well deserved. And then finally. Let me tell you, I considered doing a dual award, a beautiful male friendship award for Oscar and Kevin because I felt like their pairing up was really good. But the truth is to me, Oscar is the one who I really love in that relationship. So finally, the superior sidekick award goes to Oscar Martinez. Even though I know Kevin is kind of leading this thing, he's the one the camera starts on Kevin and then we find Oscar's there. But I just think Oscar is um, judicious in his evaluation. And I I just, he, he has great little comments. I like when he does the subtle to Kevin. And so to me, I felt like we really got a shining Oscar. I love it. I love it. We did it. We did it. Uh, next time we'll be getting to season four, episode two, which really is the thing that gives this episode, this two-parter, the title Fun Run. 
Okay. Well, yeah, because I was like, where's the fucking run? It doesn't even <laughs> appear in the first 20 minutes. Um, so I'm not sure about whether it should be. So on the, I was uh, saying this to you beforehand, but for the listeners on the DVD, it's just listed as one full episode. And so I was like, wait, where's the break? And so I was, I, I don't, you know, it's hard to imagine. Yeah. It without, I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, I, um, I, I don't really believe so much. I don't think in for the format of the office, this extended thing. Don't like it. They do a bunch of these at the beginning. And, and to me, this feels like one that they really clearly and easily could have split. Yeah. Just this doesn't have to be fun run. Fun run can come after this can be some it other hurts. thing. It also feels like the way that it ends in the cut in the part one version is the interview with Michael where he says, is there a God? If not, what are all the churches for? And who is Jesus's dad? And it really felt like one of those endings, like that yeah. is the right place Perfect. for it yeah. to end. And so I do not think, I think they just should have had two separate episodes for this. With the little button too of uh, Jim and Pam in the car, you know, it's like, mm -hmm. that's all you need, you know? Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see. I mean, it sounds like this season they're doing more of these um, double packed episodes. Yeah. A bunch of them. Curious. Mm -hmm why but yeah but yeah this i mean i thought this was top tier office this was like quintessential. but you yeah. did say this is like your favorite episode and so next time we will see we will see why yeah yeah this is one and i'd say the combination of these even though i don't believe in them being one full unit um but the two of these together wow <laughs> they're both great all right well i look forward to it thanks everybody for listening Yep. Thanks for listening. Bye.